0: And welcome to uh, another edition here in 2021 of Better Together, and this is a discussion where we bring in two experts who uh, have many things to say uh, related to marketing and also not-for-profit and uh, higher educational development uh, efforts, and uh, it's always a pleasure for me, Ray Andrews, and your moderator, to talk about uh, the topic today, uh, getting uh, ready for this year, 2021, after a very difficult 2020. And we have hindsight. 2020 is hindsight. And thankfully, 2020 is hindsight. And we can report on that too. Uh, and our guest, as we uh, talk uh, every time uh, with uh, Michael DeRose, she's uh, with BrandInspirationOnline.com. Michael, it's always good to have you here as a uh, part of this uh, discussion. Thank you, Ray and uh, also john kaneen from triple one consulting.net uh, is the website of uh, triple one consulting and john kaneen john good to see you again here on the radio yeah,
1: likewise right good to see you
0: that's right There's a little podcast discussion that we put together and uh, we delved into uh, some of the uh, matters related to development and marketing um, but also what we've learned and we have a lot of themes and th- discussions and points of our discussion uh, here that we'd like to tell and some stories and anecdotes uh, uh, here, but we've been through a lot. We're recording this in January of 2021. Uh, Last time we gathered and convened was in February of 2020. And a lot has happened in the last 10 and a half months. So um, I'm actually going to start with you, John. If you were to look back and just uh, think about some of the major things you've learned in in this pandemic and what organizations have had to learn uh, from a fundraising perspective, what is What has it been like for you to navigate this entire uh, time of COVID?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Ray, and, and I'm glad to be doing this again. It's hard to believe that it's been uh, 10 months. You know, we started that, that first podcast with all the ambition in the world, and then, you know, three weeks later, uh, everything shut down, and, and here we are. Um, you know, so glad to have 2020 behind us. You know, it, it, it's been a challenging year. Obviously, all of us have had challenging uh things happen with with this pandemic and and you know on, on the client side and on the nonprofit profit side the, the folks that i work with um you know it, i think it's been extraordinarily difficult you know i, I think looking back what i it would have been impossible perhaps to realize this but i think i wished that uh that we would have recognized that this would take longer you know in, in the first i feel like we wasted the first couple of months of the pandemic thinking that you know, if we just hang on for another six weeks or eight weeks or 10 weeks or 12 weeks, um, you know, then things will open up, right? We could start asking people for money again, or we could start conducting events again, or, um, you know, we get that direct mail piece out, you know, so, um, and then of course those, that day never really came. You know, this, this, this thing has continued to, um, you know, to linger and in some cases get worse. So, you know, I, I think one of the takeaways isn't so much to to overreact, um, but perhaps to to have been a bit more aggressive. And you know the benefit of the hind, of hindsight is there, but I feel in some ways that I wish I'd guided my clients seven months ago to accept this condition that we're all experiencing as closer to permanent than I was than I was advising them. You know I was saying things like, you know, let's just keep a, a steady tempo, uh, but we'll weather this. And then once we're on the other side, we'll really step things back up again. Um, and, you know, about four or five months ago, of course, I changed that tune, you know, to to have accept that this is, you know, it's not permanent. But when, as an organization, you start getting toward 8, 10, 12, 14, 16 months, it has elements of being permanent. It's long enough that you have to take dramatic action um, to, to stay afloat or to stay relevant or to be current. So, um, you know, I think hesitation, I think uh, maybe some false optimism early on. Uh, I think maybe a little bit too much caution, um, you know, uh, are things that I've I've taken away as as learnings from 2020. Uh, Again, not to be impulsive, uh, but perhaps to be a little bit more uh, aggressive um, in in guiding my clients uh, to, you know, new techniques and new methods and and new things to do uh, to help them, which is what, of course, I've begun to do, you know, uh, several months ago and, and, you know, starting to see some some good results. And, And the clients that have that have pivoted aggressively, that have bought into that and said, yeah, you're right, we can't just sort of wait this out uh, or just sort of, you know, kind of have this low tempo. We have to really lean into this and accept that, at least for the foreseeable future, the world is going to feel and look much like it looks today, uh, have have benefited. You know, they've, they've made progress, they've raised money, they've uh, conducted great virtual events, and they've stayed relevant. Those that haven't, I think, are are, uh, are suffering, and I think they're going to be in for a very difficult recovery.
0: Well, we're going to talk about uh, some of the changes, uh, positive and negative, um, that some companies, organizations have made in the last 10 months, and you've observed, too. But looking back uh, from a marketing perspective, Michael DeRose, just, Michael, just tell us in the last 10 months what you've observed and what you've learned.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I'll, I'll build a little off, John, a little uniquely different on the brand and side um the majority of our nonprofit and for-profit clients it was kind of a, div- a kind of a division there you know some clients wanted to okay we're just going to stop doing marketing communications yeah we'll just we'll just have we'll, we'll still drip out emails or social media or <coughs> podcasts or whatever they're going to do videos and then the other half were super aggressive pretty much from the start i mean because they knew that they had either the annual appeals coming up, or events that were coming up, or other things that were coming up on the nonprofit side, that they needed to get ahead of the game. And one of the things that we've noticed, uh, really heavily probably by like June, July, was you know, the digital space was going to be saturated quickly from everybody. Everybody started figuring out that okay, I have to do stuff, right? So, you saw a lot more organizations, either on the client side or on the agency side, doing white papers, doing podcasts, doing blogs, doing just, you know, you know, there was like, there was, there was no gray area. It was either you were in the dark and you didn't do anything or, you know, you didn't really communicate even on social. And then over here you were, you know, like just saturating channels with uh, messaging. So it made it tough for us because, you know, it's one thing to plan a strategy and know that you know, you can get some engagement on either social or video or, you know, digital. But when you have so many other people in the conversation, how you break through that is, it's the oldest question that we've always talked about, even on our last podcast about breaking through the clutter. Well, now the pandemic has indeed made it more cluttered. It's like a freeway now. It's like, on you know, the 405 in LA, uh, you know, it's just, so yeah, so we learned, we learned a bunch of stuff with, you know, I'll be excited to hopefully share some of those things tonight. Well, a lot of people have uh, had to look in the mirror in the
0: last 10 months and uh, and, and maybe not like what they saw, uh, <laughs> not necessarily their looks, but just uh, how honest they've been about the um, their organization, uh, about the way they've been conducting their business, whether they were caught flat-footed um, technologically. Um, maybe they hadn't really kept up with um, messaging in an appropriate way over the years, and and their business was already or the organization already was suffering and had an infrastructure uh, problems. Um, now that some of these organizations have had a change, and uh, how do you think some of these changes will go in terms of permanence? Do you think that um, we are going to get back to, I keep, you keep hearing the, the cliche, the new normal. So let me ask you both. What? What? I don't know what is normal to, to begin with, and I don't know what's new. So how would you define that uh, coming out? And uh, why don't we start with you, John?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, right? And I think, obviously, there's uh, leaders of organizations, nonprofit, for-profit, governments, higher ed, uh, all, you know, asking themselves those same questions. You know, I think... um, you know, I, I think the world is going to look a lot different on the other side of this. You know, I believe that, uh, especially given the length and and depth of this pandemic, um, that this is one of those, you know, historic events, you know, akin to World War Two, akin to uh, World War I, um, where, you know, the whole world was different afterwards. You know, not just, um, you know, burying those that we had lost and, and healing the wounds, but, you know, socioeconomic things changed, you know, permanently after World War II. Um, you know, the status of women in the workforce, uh, the move to the suburbs with all the men coming home on the GI Bill. These were seismic changes in this country. Uh, and if you go to Europe, of course, they were even more considerable because there were some you know political shifts there uh, as well. Um, you know, I think this is akin to that. I think that, um, you know, how we interact... Um, is going to change. It doesn't mean that we're all going to interact like this exclusively via Zoom and, and you know in headsets and remotely. Um, but I think some of the things that we developed as as tools to get by will remain. You know, I, I think this is going to become part of 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 how we do business uh, and communicate, and maybe even in some cases how we prefer to. You know, I was reflecting with um, uh, a friend this morning. You know, m- my family, my my wife, and, and my kids have a weekly Zoom call with their cousins um, you know uh, every week they've seen more of their cousins you know seen you know via the, you know, via Zoom and you know played trivia pursuit and all the different things that teenagers will do um, you know in this past year than they did cumulatively in the in the, in the four years prior to that um, that's not going to change it's not to say that we aren't looking forward to visiting them we are um, but that stuff's going to remain you know and, and that'll be a new way that they interact and get to know each other and, and keep that familial bond you know I think as it applies to the nonprofits that I work with um, you know people's values have shifted you know i I, I know that, that, that we were talking earlier you know there's an organization that I support and it's a it's a it's a private school and and i've always supported them for twenty five or thirty years since i've left there uh, and having time to reflect on it, I support them for two reasons, right? One is a sense of gratitude that they'd done something very, very good to me when I was young and I needed some help. And the second is vanity. I've done well, I've had a successful career, and it's a little bit about puffery, you know, fluffing my feathers a little bit, you know, have my name show up on a particular wall or to, you know, kind of show off to my friends or whatever. Um, And coming to that conclusion um, isn't something I'm necessarily proud of, uh, and it also feels horribly out of step with what we all have experienced in the world. You know, that I'm really going to give away my money out of a sense of vanity, you know, given what's happening, given what can be done on healthcare, what can be done with, uh, social you know, and, and, and racial equality. And, um, so I think people's values are shifting, you know, and, and, in fundraising, it's the values that drive philanthropy, right? It's values that drive, philanthropy what, what. Matters to us. What things do we think are important? What causes do we feel need our help, based upon our value set? Um, I think a lot of people have had a lot of time to reflect on what they truly value. What they truly is it their name on a building, or is it actually helping people that don't have the same level of privilege that they have? Um, you know, is it is it showing off to your high school buddies that you've done well? Uh, Or is it, you know, aiding the family across the street, you know, who perhaps lost their job and suffered through the pandemic? I mean, these things have always been there. uh, But I think um, this pandemic has exacerbated it. I think the time we've had to ourselves as a result of it have allowed us to focus on it. Uh, And I think that when the world begins to reopen, our organizations are going to be facing a universe of donors that have an entirely different set of opinions um, about who they value and trust and the kind of organizations they would like to support. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's sort of my takeaway. I feel that's permanent. You know, and I think some of the tools will be permanent and Mike could speak to that. You know, the, the channels we use and the, is it Zoom or, you know, and, and these different, you know, and podcasts. I mean, I think some of the tools will be different. Um, but, but more importantly, at least for me, I think society is going to be different. Uh, and we need to, A, recognize and accept that and B, begin to figure out how it's going to be different, you know, what actually is different, Uh, Mm -hmm. and then model
0: organizations to reflect that. You know, I have to say that I'm going to ask Michael in just a moment about um, cutting through all the noise. So using different channels, messaging, um, channeling thoughts, different platforms. I mean, there's multiple ways to, to communicate right now. It's just exploded in the last 20 years uh, and, and maybe become a lot more challenging in that respect. But I want to go back to a point about, you know, reflecting on how to give and, and different ways to give, John. Um, sort of a new way to think of giving. Uh, that came through stopping and reflecting. So you actually had to hit the pause button in a way couldn't stop your business. Nobody should have been stopping their business, but you had to stop and reflect. Why am I doing this the same old way? Why have I been doing this? That's been part of my habit. And that's going to change giving and and charity uh, and engagement in a very, very different way now.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the analogy I use – you know, and I, and I know this is a bit of an overstatement, but sometimes you need an overstatement to get the analogy to work. Um, if we could accept for a moment that we that we hit pause um, during the pandemic, and I understand that not everybody hit pause and that people have continued forward, but let's just say that the, the, this pandemic has been a bit of a pause in how we communicate and how we fundraise. Um, I think if the expectation is that the movie that we were watching before we hit pause um, and now we hit unpause when we get permission, um, and it'll be science and it'll be medicine um, that gives us this permission as people get healthier and as the virus begins to, to, to run its course. Um, when we hit unpause, if we expect that the same movie is going to be playing... Um, I think we're in for a very significant awakening. You know, it's going to be a different movie. Um, you know, uh, we're not going to be watching the continuation of the same scene. Um, everything is going to be a good bit different. And, you know, it, part of it is economic. You know, people have suffered real economic hardship. You know, wealth has shifted around again. Um, you know, more, again, more concentrated at the top. But I think well beyond that, it's a values shift Uh, I think it's a sense of, you know, we all had our, you know, our grandparents, you know, depression era grandparents, you know, having lived through the depression that impacted their entire lives, you know, in terms of how they managed their finances and how they approached business and how they approached savings. There's elements of that here, you know, and, and, you know, and people have, have saved and held on to money out of a sense of fear and uncertainty. What's that going to look like coming back into the market, whether it's the consumer market or the philanthropic market? Um, people's values and priorities have shifted. It's going to be a different movie playing on the other side of the pause button. Um, And uh, in understanding full well, I'd I'd hope not to receive a bunch of messages though. We didn't pause, we were, you know, I understand that that people have have continued uh, and I've helped a lot of people continue through this pandemic, but uh, let's assume for the moment that we're gonna be doing a lot more as this eases up um and it's going to be a different world on the other side
0: Um, well it's remarkable you really see that in the savings rate in the past year how it's dramatically increased because well all of a sudden it's difficult to go buy a car in person uh it's very difficult uh, to go to a retail outlet and buy clothing it's obviously a challenge to go into a restaurant the bars are closed um I assume that at some point, when those bars reopen, people will be toasting quite a bit. <laughs> uh, and we'll have to figure out what they're going to toast to. Uh, but it's, that will not change. I mean, people will be convivial and celebrate and gather again. We're social creatures, we know that. Um, but let, now that we're talking about the movie, we're unpausing the movie, and we're fast-forwarding. I think what I will uh, talk about, Michael, with you is that it's just all these platforms, uh, we're here and we're putting together this podcast, so we're putting our thoughts to voice. And we know about all the social media platforms and how they've been used well, and obviously we have seen recently how they may have been used to ill effect dramatically. Um, And and that's been also observed too. It's kind of the wild west out there, try to get your message across and find the right channel. So how do we create yeah. these uh, social media? You've got um, you know, here, you know, these Zoom meetings. Uh, people are learning the technology. Some are good at it. Some are not so good at it. It, it feels like the Wild West. So it, before we get out to Dodge City or uh, <laughs> Tombstone, Arizona, in terms of technology, kind of walk us through what we need to know because some of us are lost.
2: Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, I think, you know, I want to follow up on something John was saying, because I, too, believe that. I think now more than ever, I mean, you have to take the entire climate, right? I mean, you know, the political climate, the pandemic, the social injustice issues, you add it all together as humans. Things had to, people have to change, right? So as humans, if 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 they're, you know, the idea like John is talking about in terms of having more gratitude and stuff like that, and or their beliefs system has changed in terms of how they're gonna donate or use their money in a consumer setting or whatever, <clears throat> I think as marketers and and, and or uh, marketers in a nonprofit setting or a communications person in a nonprofit setting. I think that you have to recognize that first, right? I think I totally agree with John and we talk about it a lot. I mean, you know, I think that is number one to recognize that the same old clickbait marketing messages, stuff like that really shouldn't, Hey, it's kind of insincere now, right? You know what I mean? Like before it was one thing when you had a bunch of ads in your feed and, you know, some of them are kind of hokey or they're kind of clickbaitish, but now it's kind of I don't know. I just I, I, when I look at my feeds everywhere, I get kind of insulted when I see the same old, same old that was there, you know, a year ago. <clears throat> just because I just think that they're kind of tone deaf, they're tone deaf to what's going on in the world and where we're coming out of it. So I think that message construction holistically is really where it comes down to. Like I, I don't know if I, not, you know, I've been in marketing for 25, 26 years. I'm not sure if there was ever been a time where now. The knowing the persona in your audience and the actual target of your audience, like who they look like, what they feel like, how they think, you know, where they live, that kind of stuff, the the building the persona, and you know, is super important. And And then, once you figure that out, where are they living? Well, you know, there's all these channels. I mean, putting the same message to one persona on all these channels doesn't make a lot of sense because there's a good chance that a lot of men aren't on Instagram if you're trying to reach men and, you know, or there's a good chance that people from 40 to 45 to 65 are on Facebook, but they're not over on Instagram or they're not on Twitter. I mean, you know, you just have to figure it out. So I think that... message discipline, like figuring out what the message is based on the audience that you want to reach and knowing what channel that they live in. So if it's social LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and you know, a lot in the consumer arenas and B2C, it's Snapchat and TikTok and stuff like that. Um, You have to figure that out. And the same thing with, I mean, I'm not saying that you just disregard tried and true measures. Like we still do email marketing for clients. We still do, you know, you know, the, the social media posts that, are you know that that play but it's the it's it's that first of all the message thing message is going to be the most important thing i believe and a message that's unique to that to ray a message that's unique to ray not a message that's unique to john now granted it's not easy to do that all the time right i mean you're going to have messages on your social media and other platforms that are generic to the masses but if you can figure out ways to be more personalized and unique, and I don't mean just by adding, hey, John, on your email, I mean, you know, messages that kind of resonate, um, I think that's important. And then figuring out what channels work for you, right? You don't have to be on every channel as an organization, right? I mean, you just don't. I mean, now, if, if your audience and the people that you want to reach are on every channel, well, then maybe the strategy that makes sense but you don't have to be on every channel just don't do a you don't have to do a podcast just to do a podcast or have a blog just to be have a blog or whatever you know you know and, and so that's one thing and then i think that you know to also answer your question i think that figuring out during the pandemic and going into the future and i know we'll talk more about this but what things work that used to work before that won't work now, right? So in kind of like a, you know, a a total different shift in methodology. So, you know, we had a client that, you know, literally would every year run a program in person. They had to run the program in person to get their audience to to join and, and, and be active and engaged with the platform with the program. This year they couldn't do it. It was this fall, they couldn't do it. So, you know, we they literally asked us, okay, how would we do this using Facebook Live? How do we, how do we reach these same people using digital channels that we never reached them before on? So, you know, so as an organization, they recognize, they recognize that they can't do this, but they still have to do the program. So, you know, you have to be, you know, we had to be creative in terms of how we do it with Facebook advertising, Facebook Live. And in and, and today, Ray, Facebook advertising platform, and I'm not, you know, trying to advertise for them but the facebook advertising platform is really sophisticated for nonprofits and for marketing communications people and fundraisers because you can do a lot on that platform and target specific areas for a very low spend which you couldn't ever do before and actually you know it's you know it's it's just kind of changed marketing and on, on the social side
0: i'm glad you mentioned that there's a
2: uh, there's
0: um a greater sophistication and an awareness of how to use the platforms. It's emerging with professional assistants like yours and, and others who are follow this. But I think um, uh, I'm not speaking for the luddite population, um, but for those who don't enjoy or engage uh, with the activity. And I, I sort of go back to about. Um, 15 or 20 years ago with the emerging term that seemed to be dominant of virtual reality. And yeah, uh, it seemed to correspond to fantasy football leagues to have virtual reality. uh, (laughs) At the same time in our culture. Um, But I also heard someone say, and I haven't seen this populate, but it's a great term, virtual authenticity. In the sense that in these uh, platforms, if you're putting on a virtual reception, an event, or using social media platforms, or... Um, you know, anything you do in that regard is who you are. It, it is an extension of the natural nature of your personality, of your product, of your business, of your message. And some people think they have to reinvent themselves in in their marketing and advertising efforts, but the actual authenticity of the person uh, will come across if in the right platform, and, and market it in the right way. And you can ask a lot of people who work with, um, you know, people running for public office. You want your messaging accurate, but you have to be true to yourself. You have to be who you are.
2: Uh, I couldn't agree more. I actually think John can speak to this even more eloquently in terms of donors. I mean, I mean, I don't believe that in a nonprofit setting, you have to be authentic, right? I mean, you don't have, you don't, you're not selling a widget. You're not selling you your, your, your mission, your vision, your storytelling, why you matter to the community or to your constituents or whatever, uh, or to your donors, why you matter, why you still matter coming out of, you know, the, the, the reboot on what John was talking about, like, you know, kind of repositioning why you matter and why is it important? But yeah, I mean, I think a unique, you hear the word authenticity all the time in marketing communications all the time. Um, but I think fake or forced authenticity is not great, right? Because I think everybody sees through that. I think the thing is not for donors and for just consumers in general, you know, I have a friend, like for example, I have a friend that we were watching the playoffs and we were texting about the playoffs, the NFL playoffs a couple weeks ago. And he, and he was like 40 minutes behind. I couldn't figure out why he was 40 minutes behind. I texted him like, what are you doing? He was like, well, I DVR and then I wait 40 minutes and then I forward the commercials. And I was like, wow, you forward to commercials. I was like, you hate advertising that much to forward the commercials. He's like, oh yeah, I do. And, and it's funny. So I started bringing that up to people. I was like, how much do you really dislike ads and, you know, in your feed or on TV or whatever? And they were like, oh, I can't. Understand. So, you know, marketers were like, oh, man. you know, we got like two seconds of your attention and you forward us or whatever. Um, so, you know, you're up against that all the time. So I think you have to be authentic all the time. Like, I don't, I don't know. And that's why I, I don't think massive message construction makes sense to almost anybody other than if you're a big brand and a nonprofit or a for-profit side, just a big brand can communicate at a big high level. I think the better your messaging is distilled down and it's unique to that donor is probably going to be more beneficial in the end because they'll see through it. If not, I mean, you know, the the, with all the media communications out there and channels, everybody knows what they like and what they don't like. And they see right through it. If brands try to be phony and fake, you know, they just see right through it. Yeah.
0: So John, you have dealt with people, um, in your career, one-on-one, you've had a lot of one-on-one sessions. So you've gotten to know people, uh, individually in, in, in your efforts, um, and, and describe, um, since we can't meet with people right now, the impact of uh, some of the technology and how you've been able to use that technology uh, and how companies can engage that with one-on-one sessions uh, through Zoom, um, WebEx, uh, Microsoft, uh, Teams, whatever you're, you're, you're on, whatever platform you want to use, how you can engage and be more of a one-on-one person Employing this new technology, which has emerged dramatically because we've had to use it in the last 10 months to a year.
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I think I'll start by saying there's always a tendency when when people talk about everything is going to change, and, and, I, and I'm talking about it. I, my whole lead in was about that for <laughs> there to be this sort of general assumption that uh, you know it's going to be a hundred percent change, and it's not. You know, it's, you know, we will get back to meeting with each other in person. We will get back to flying to conferences and business meetings. Um, all of these things will happen. But the, the the real question is, at what level? You know, is it going to be off by 10%, 12%, 15%, 30%? Um, you know, what's what's, you know, these tools are here to stay in some form or another. It might be, you know, as I say, 10 or 15%. But to your specific question, you know, the pandemic has accelerated um the use of these technologies. Zoom was growing before the pandemic. It just grew a lot faster during the pandemic. Um, digital was growing before the pandemic. A migration away from you know big t v advertising was happening before the pandemic uh you know and moved toward online so i I think it's important as just a as a as a general you know sort of principle. I don't believe that everything that any of this is a hundred percent in any one direction. It's not a hundred percent going to stay the same. It's not going to hundred percent change. Um, and what the pandemic has done is it accelerated the use of these tools, these virtual tools that we were already moving toward um, anyway, at least in some modest form. We're just now using them largely, um, you know, almost exclusively. But specifically around sort of donor interaction or uh, interacting with a prospect, you know. Because of the use of the technology, and because it's become so widespread, things that I would have thought were impossible a year ago, you know, a donor meeting with a $100,000 prospect, um, where you talk about things that they're interested in, what motivates them to fund an organization, and would they be interested in making a gift at that level to an organization maybe that I'm working with, never in a million years would I have thought a year ago that I would do such a meeting via Zoom. That's a that's a go to in-person conversation, 100 percent. I've done them throughout the pandemic. And, you know, once you get over a little bit of this sort of awkward technical glitches and what the person's background looks like and if the dog's barking and 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 interestingly enough, these are all things that we've overcome through sheer use of this. We've become accustomed to the different backgrounds and the different sound quality and the dog barking. and, And I think we've accepted that that's just okay. It doesn't have to be perfect. We're not, we're not sitting in a, in a you know in a TV studio. So we've given each other permission to be human in how we use these technologies. Um, so once that became sort of widespread, the conversations have become pretty normal and 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 pretty authentic. Um, you know, I've had compelling conversations where donors have really poured you know their heart into why they support. You know, and compelling interactions between the client representing the nonprofit and the donor uh, about what motivates them. Um, Interestingly enough, one of my clients said that one of the things he found interesting about Zoom is that different than an in-person visit is that he spends more time looking at people's faces, their eyes, their facial expressions uh, than he does when he's in person, and in some ways. Has found some interesting benefits from that in terms of reading the person. You know that, uh, you know, not distracted by the meal maybe that they're sharing or looking over their shoulder or you know, um, and you know, really because there's nothing else to look at, really looking at the face of the person they're speaking with. Um, I don't know that that's true for everybody. So the tools themselves, I think, have served, have served the the organizations that I work with well, and people have accepted them. So I think they're going to stay. I I think that major gift visits, donor cultivation meetings, um, a good percentage of them are going to be done virtually. You can do more of them. Um, You could do them at reduced cost. Uh, You don't have to travel. You take an entire day to do it. It's an hour. It's less of an imposition on the person that you're visiting. You have to welcome you into their home or make room for you in their office and what have you. Um, so I think there's going to be a significant percentage of what used to be in-person interactions, certainly at the major gift level, um, that will take place virtually. And maybe it's the first meeting or two that's virtual, and then there'll be the third meeting will be in-person. Maybe it's the initial interaction that's virtual, and then the, the, you know, that sort of final interaction where you move toward the GIFT is in-person. You know, there's going to be all sorts of combinations. Um, some will be 100% in-person, um, some will be 100% virtual. Um, People have accepted the tools, I think because we were forced to, I think because we became comfortable with them, Um, and uh, I think we have found that although they don't necessarily replace in-person communication, that they're okay, you know, and and maybe the compromise is this interaction isn't quite as personal as I'd like it to be, but the benefits outweigh the negatives, and those benefits being, you know, maybe the more casual nature of it, the benefits being that it, it takes less time. You know, so what would be a four-hour commitment now turns into a forty-five-minute commitment. Well, time is valuable. You know, I'm willing to give up a little. Uh, maybe I'm willing to give up a little personalization and intimacy to gain three hours back. You know, um, you know, uh, yeah, I think there's something to be said for that.
0: Uh, well, so- I would say that we'd save a little bit too on uh, petrol on gasoline. <laughs> right. Uh, getting- Point A to Point B, or parking, or um, restaurants. In the last ten months, have certainly had a very tough time. So, those lunches um, might not occur, and on picking up the check, and uh, so there, there is a new way of doing things. There's a little bit more efficiency um, related to this, and and it's quite interesting how we how we use some of this technology, and and in, in just in terms of how casual we are. I mean, we're learning all of a sudden we're on camera. This is our own brand, and you know, Michael and John. I think you'd agree uh, how we dress, uh, how we talk, what our posture is uh, in these sessions that are visual. Um, all of this is so important in in presenting yourself in front of, of of a individual or a larger group. And we're still trying to wrestle with this. in a way, all these rectangles are uh, kind of leveling the playing field. Some of us are very good at this and some of us are not so good at this.
1: Right. Yeah. And and I think it's, I I think my big takeaway, I'm not endorsing the sort of move to virtual and what have you versus in person. But I think, whereas when I, the first things I said today is it took me a while to realize that we were in a semi-permanent state with this pandemic, you know, and I wish that I had moved faster in my own business and on behalf of some of my clients a mistake that i hope not to repeat is to convince myself that this new way of doing business is purely temporary you know you know it, that there will be elements of how we interact communicate do business approach donors cultivate and solicit donors that we have acquired through this pandemic that will have elements of permanence and what i'm trying to advise my clients is You know, there's going to be a natural tendency to want to go back to doing what we used to do, telling our story the way we've always told our story, communicating with our constituents, our prospects, and our donors the way we've always told it. It's easier. It's like a comfortable shoe. It feels right. It's in our comfort zone. And I think that's going to be a very, very big mistake. You know, I think it's a very large mistake. You know, we need to accept that. In ways that we can't even articulate now, and I think in ways that sociologists will spend you know, years and decades studying, um, we've changed. We've changed with methods. We've changed with our values. We've changed with how we spend our money. Uh, we've changed with how we want to be communicated to or at. Um, and uh, it's being ready for those, you know. And I think having the willingness um, to be open-minded, you know, and and accept that. Uh, it's a, it's, it'll be a new world. It's already a new world and it's going to be a new world on the other side of this thing as well.
0: Yeah. listening to uh, better together, uh, our conversation here today with John Kaneen uh, from triple one consulting. The website is triple one consulting.net. Also Michael DeRoche of brand inspiration, um, marketing it's brandinspirationonline.com If you want to learn more and uh, I'll start with you, Michael, on this next question, I want to just talk about, um, before we sort of tie this in on a human level about, you know, just being grateful people, I'd like to talk about numbers, <laughs> data, uh, numbers crunching. Uh, and, and we're all caught up now in these wonderful software programs that, um, that, that we use in, in our work uh, where we're data-driven. Um, there's no longer the soft... Uh, factual uh, data that you enter. You actually have hard data that drives decision and a lot of software that allows you to track things. So for example, if you were in, uh, doing marketing and radio at one time, you had to rely on what we then called Arbitron, then Nielsen ratings or television ratings, Right. Uh, they were filled out by diaries. Uh, they were not filled out uh, to the decimal point uh, accurately. They could fluctuate from time to time. Uh, And you also had to trust the diary uh, that it was filled out accurately by that person. Now we're in an era where we can determine digital technology right to the minute. The amount of uh, audience you have participating at any time in these new technologies, they're not fooling. You have data, empirical knowledge now of what's working and what's not working.
2: Yes, indeed. I mean, and, you know, and and just keep it to social media marketing, specifically on the Facebook advertising platform, that's also the Instagram advertising platform, because, you know, Facebook owns Instagram. Um, You see it. So a a couple wonderful things have happened, right? And really have happened um, even before the pandemic, but certainly through the pandemic, because so many more people are spending money on ad spend for their organizations, um, is a couple things one you can do wonderful things with how you segment how you define your audience you You could create a thing called custom audiences on Facebook, where it allows you to, you know, take a a database of your prospects or, or or your existing base or donors. And you can kind of make sure that you can try to serve ads to them. If they're connected on Facebook, I'm just going to just keep it in a silo on Facebook and you can do great things, right? So you could put very little spend and get impact. And while you're building ads and you don't need to be uh, advanced marketer to figure out how to use the platform, right? The ad platform. So you know, you put in an ad spend number and some demographics and some segmentation, and then it'll tell you. Well, you, we we think we're going to be able to reach this many people for this dollar amount a day, and you're going to get this many new engagements. That's their algorithm, right? It's pretty intuitive for anybody to use. Um, and then, and then you, and then like within a week of running it, you have data, right? Then you have data. How many people? Click through to our website, how many people watched maybe the video, how many people. So, and and what it does, and and it's one of the things that we do, we build micro campaigns, right? So, you know, we want an organization to systemically look at their marketing for a year, but we don't want to plan any more than three months and a top six months um, in terms of their social media calendar or marketing calendars or communication calendars because you have to be fluid. And I think the pandemic has definitely taught us even more that you have to be much more fluid. You have to be able to pivot quickly. And and, and the beauty is, is that you don't have to wait for data, right? So data is there. If you're just doing social media marketing or even email marketing or combining the two or blending the two or whatever you're doing, um, you have the data everywhere. And just take your website, for example. If you just have a WordPress site or a Squarespace site, I mean, Squarespace has its own built-in analytics now square space analytics you don't have to depend on you know being connected to google to do that anymore so you know data does drive everything but i caution and i'm i'm going to say this cuz i've said and and john's heard me for years say this i caution that you get paralyzed by data because at the end of the day branding marketing communications donor development i don't care what you're doing we're talking humans here. We're not talking numbers. We're talking humans, emotions, inte- you know, emotional intelligence, mental you know, intelligence. I mean, you know, just emotions of the heart and of, you know, especially in nonprofits. Um, so you know, it, you have to be careful because I, you know, I read a lot of stuff or I listen to a lot of other podcasts about, oh, you know, all of your data should drive your headlines and like ad copy and stuff. And I, you know, I, I'm still an old school guy where I really feel that good copy in good messaging, if you really know your audience and you know why your brand is important to that audience, I think that you can craft copy that resonates with, you know, that person right there at that time that they might need that service or you want to donate money or whatever. And I would be careful on just saying, well, Facebook says this ad pulled the best. Um, You got to watch out about some of that because data can mislead you.
1: Well, I also think, Mike, John, I'd just like to jump in. Yeah, I think the availability of all of this data exposes us as communicators, right? When right. mean exposes us, um, it lets us know if we're good at what we're doing and or if we've become lazy, you know, right. and or if we've become irresponsible in how we communicate um, because you, you get to see is the message resonating, you know? So from a nonprofit perspective, you know, if you have donors that range from 20 years old to 80 years old, um, mm-hmm. You know, not only are they participating in different channels, they are, they speak a different language. You know, right. I have I have teenage kids who would struggle to name the major movie stars that all of us in this call would consider. You know, the George Clooney's and the Brad Pitts. You know, my kids are less interested in them and far more interested in you know people that are on Twitch or people that are right. on you know TikTok and, and and you know and they would see. Somebody with 50 million TikTok followers as far more influential and famous than a George Clooney, you know, somebody Agreed. that we as 40-year and 50-year-olds would see as extremely influential, and the language associated with that is different, and that goes all the way through the generations. People in their 20s and 30s have an entirely different frame of reference, a different language, different channels that they embrace uh, than those of us that are in our 40s or 50s, and then of course on up and up and up the ladder. So. Uh, It's not only are the channels different, it's what you speak to. It's what they value. You know, I do a lot of work in the church space. And, you know, when you're speaking to you know church members that are in their 60s and their 70s and in their 80s, especially in the Catholic church, you know, it's about our responsibility as Catholics to participate in our faith. It's about our obligation. It's about the gratitude that we feel for being Catholic and the sacrifices that our Lord made for it. And that's fine. That message doesn't resonate with the 20, 30, and 35-year-olds. It just doesn't. It just (laughs) doesn't. They just don't feel it the same way. You know, it's more about, you know, participating in your faith and and what, you know, being active in your faith can do with and for you and your family than it is out of a sense of, you know, obligation. Um, They just look at it differently. So your language has to be different uh, in those cohorts. And I'm not saying that you change the faith or the theology. Of course not. But you change where you shine the light, you know, where, where you bold print, uh, where you emphasize um, to resonate with the people that you're speaking to. And in order to do that, you have to understand who they are and you have to understand what they respond to, what kind of messaging, why do they care about you? Um, and then customize the message in the right channel, um, you know, t- to them. And I think that this pandemic, um, not to make everything about the pandemic, but part of the theme of today's podcast is what does life look like going forward, um, has accelerated that. You know, it, it's, you know, the marketplace is flooded with messaging. Um, it's flooded against a, 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 a populace uh, that has suffered, you know, quite a bit, you know, financially, emotionally, spiritually, um, and whose values have changed and shifted. Um, we need to know more about who these people are, and we need to know more about how they've changed. And we need to take responsibility for that as, as nonprofits or the, my nonprofit clients, own that and make sure we're delivering to them what, what, this, what, what they need and what they want. We have a responsibility to do that for them. And we have a responsibility to do it for ourselves because they're not going to support us if we don't. Right? So it's, it's both okay. the right thing to do and it's also the necessary thing to do if you intend to survive.
0: I'm going to ask you both about uh, your business and your focus, because if we were to walk in and sit down and have this conversation and relax uh, a year ago, uh, (laughs) it would be different. Now, fast forward, here we are, uh, picking up again, talking again. But um, if you were to describe Triple One, I'll just start there with you, John, and then we'll talk brand inspiration, Michael, in a moment. Uh, But if we were to talk about, uh, with that famous elevator speech uh, (laughs) 10 months ago, what Triple One does, and then walk in the same elevator again today, what does Triple One do now? How have those elevator speeches, if you will, or those descriptions about your business, how have they changed? Well, on a personal level, uh, I
1: was skinnier 10 months ago. Um, <laughs> so there's, there's that, uh, but since this is a, uh, this is an audio, uh, medium that we're using, the audience has no idea. Um, I'm still fine folks, but, uh, but I was skinnier 10 months ago. Um, but not skinny triple one itself. Um, yeah, we provide, uh, really high level fundraising consulting to small to, mid-sized and on the larger side of mid, mid-sized mid nonprofits uh, are around a couple of key issues. Uh, we spend a lot of time engaging with them on, on on communications, how they tell their story. Why are you relevant? Why do you matter? Why should people care about you? Everything we do starts there. Um, and then we take that once we get it right and and we we look to the existing audience, we look to potential audiences and figure out the best way to communicate that to them begin to develop a level of engagement, and then ultimately convert that to fundraising dollars. How do we convert this engagement and interest to money to help fuel our organization? And for me, most often, that manifests itself in major gifts, You know, working with individual donors, pools of, of donors, um, and, and mapping what our organizations do to what they're interested in, ultimately soliciting those donors. A fair bit of work around annual giving, uh, which largely centered around messaging segmentation, using data to drive response rates and using data to to select and, and, and deploy in the appropriate channels. And then a lot of strategic planning, you know, making adjustments over the course of of months and in some cases years to reflect what's working, what's not working, what's changing. you know, um, you know we've had clients of course, whose mission field was a particular. Um, series of things, um, and then the world changes, and the mission field either expands or completely shifts. Um, and um, you know, doing the same work, but just doing it maybe with a different uh, group of people. So, um, a lot of strategy, a lot of getting the storytelling right. Um, and then, to be perfectly honest, it's a lot of coaching to embolden my clients that it's okay to ask, it's okay to be human out there and do the best you can. Um, and uh, and to you know to 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 go knock on some doors you know and present the good work that you're doing. Um, there's a lot of that, a lot of that.
0: But a change in ten months, but it's still the core mission that you held for many years. Um, only with with a pivot point and a reflection. And Michael, you know, back last year, brand inspiration, marketing. We've gone over so many uh, aspects of the change in the last uh, uh, year with with the pandemic. Um, but but if you were to tell people a year ago where you were, and now we fast forward, uh, what do you tell them now about brand inspiration?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, we've we we we've definitely been, done our own self-observation in terms of what I feel, you know, our team strengths are and, you know, where we're going. You know, one of the things I'll just, I wanted to add something to what John was talking about earlier about, about like the tools and Things that have changed. One of the things that I, you know, and I think this is another, this goes on what I was just talking about, about the Facebook advertising is that it is okay. Now, one of the things the pandemic's done, and you saw sprinkles of it before where people were trying to get organic or authentic stuff to look authentic, but now having marketing communication videos or, or audio cast or blogs or whatever or share graphics, whatever they can look like they don't have to be so polished anymore. Like now, you know, the trend before was, you know, everything had to be like, look produced. Well, well lit, well, this, but with zoom, you know, we're, we're doing all sorts of just recording interviews on zoom and then editing them together and throwing them out on YouTube and Facebook's platform. And that's an Instagram stories. I mean, that's it. We don't even polish them anymore. I mean, we don't even color grade them. So, you know, but it's, but it's, it's become accepted. Like, John said with the zooms it's exact same thing and I think that will stay like I I think because production values have changed And I'm not trying to get videographers out of their jobs but I mean it's just part of what you know the reality is that it's always going to change but anyway to answer your question about one of the the things I think that we truly are because storytelling is everything for us as well because we're a marketing communication firm we can't be in business if we don't tell stories but is I firmly believe And I've always believed this, but now I've really believe it more with my, my, my team is I truly feel that every organization, nonprofit, every for-profit business, every individual, every author, every musician, every sound engineer, every, every, everybody has one, if you can ask the right questions and you can have them kind of divulge their soul to you, you can find one specific thing that makes them unique compared to everybody else. And everybody has it. Everybody has it. How we find that and then turn it into creative strategies to make their own brand. You keep using the word personal branding and stuff like that, right? That's what it's about. That's what I think that I try to get out of people and then, or out of an organization, and then be able to creatively way using all the tools John talked about, all the tools we talked about tonight, to then, you know, because you could have, you know, it's a, two nonprofits that do the exact same thing. But just the way you tell their story that's unique compared to the other one is their differentiator. So I think we're, I mean, I think that we truly are, we, you know, I think we true. And I think if we asked our clients and we have a couple times, you know, what makes us unique, we're not cookie cutter at all. We don't, we look at every engagement as what is unique to them to try to communicate. And that's, and, and, you know, obviously, and then there's the other half of the agency, which is we got to do the work. Right. It's great to be all, you know, let's all, oh, let's create your great story, but then you got to be able to build the stuff, right? The websites, the landing pages, the emails, the social media. The, I mean, that's the stuff that matters because that's at the end of the day. That's what the consumer, you know, digests. But, um, you know, so we're storytellers, just like John, just in a different way. And, you know, and I think that we try to really drill down to what makes them unique compared to someone else.
0: We have just a couple of minutes in our conversation uh, in, in our uh, Better Together podcast. And, and I have to go back to a point that you touched on, John, about uh, gratitude mm. and working out of a sense of joy, but also working out of a sense of, of grateful mission um, and and feeling that even through the pandemic and through the tragedy of all the lives lost and through all the social disruption and fear and anxiety that people are feeling, the isolation, interestingly enough, people are coming out of this with some form of gratitude and uh, how some organizations need to tap into that. So if you can both, starting with you, John, just talk about um, being with your donors, uh, being people who serve, encouraging people to connect, how that's a very effective way uh, to work for your clients.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a great question. And something I've spent a fair bit of time on a personal level thinking about, Um, you know, one of my big takeaways on a, on a personal level. And of course that extends to my business and, and, and and to my clients um, was just how grateful I am for the life that I have. And, you know, And the physical life I have, but the entire life I have, the privilege that I have to be able to, you know, work from home in a safe environment, you know, with a yard that my kids could play in and and things like, and and really having this pandemic, and and maybe I'm a little embarrassed to say that it took this pandemic for me to realize the extraordinary privilege that I have, you know, but I do now, you know, and I think a lot of people are going to come away with that. Um, and you know, and I think that translates or transfers to our organizations, in that our organizations have to demonstrate that they're grateful for the support they get. They're grateful that that people care about them and are engaged and interested in them. And and I'm not saying that organizations have taken their donors and supporters for granted. Um, they haven't. Um, but I think that we need coming out of this. In some cases, to lead with that, thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for caring about us. Thank you for participating. Thank you for your support. Um, it's been our, the organization speaking, our privilege to be you know on the front lines of whatever it is, whether it's a museum or whether it's a frontline healthcare worker, whether it's a religious organization. Um, I think that's an important. I think that's an important thing from a messaging perspective um, to, to lead with, you know, and I think that if they do, uh, I think that uh, they'll set the tone for this new year and maybe new years, um, that we'll all benefit from is that, you know, instead of, you know, me, 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 us, 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 it's, you know, thank you, you know, for, for being on this journey with us um, thank you for suffering alongside of us. Uh, we made it, we're making it. We have a lot more work to do. Let's move forward together. Um, I think that'd be a darn good message, uh, for not only all of us individually to have, uh, but for the organizations that we work with or represent to have. Uh, and I think there'll be great reward, um, you know, for, for organizations that embrace that.
0: And, uh, well put in, and Michael, in terms of, uh, just as John had mentioned, grateful for the life I have. Uh, I don't think that extends to just one channel. It extends to multiple channels and yeah. perhaps uh, multiple platforms. And some final thoughts from you on, on on gratitude and what
2: that means after the pandemic and going forward uh, in your line of work. Gratitude, something, I'll just say, that gratitude, something that, you know, as John will know, because well used to be in the office with me all the time. Um, you know, I try to <laughs> I do really try to live life in some kind of grateful way. And uh, in 2020, there's a bunch of stuff that happened that makes it even more uh, gratifying in terms of where I am and, you know, my working with some great nonprofit clients and for-profit clients and um, helping them along the way of their transition and in the future. And I couldn't agree more, John, with the thank you lead in. I wonder... What always concerns me, and I don't like to be the pessimist in that group, but <laughs> what concerns me is that it's something you said before that you know we we might come out in the spring or the summer or the fall with all sorts of communications from all sorts of organizations with thank you, thank you, thank you. And you saw it, right? You you see it with other things like you know thank you to frontline workers and stuff like that. You saw a lot of that already in big brands and stuff. And then then everybody just settles back into their own ways of doing of things. You know, and that's what concerns me is that uh, that all that work to be authentic and honest and you, sincere, um, you know, consumers and donors they like I said before they they'll see right through that, and it won't work next time. going back to the old ways of doing right. things.
0: Yeah. Well, gentlemen, you've uh, provided us a lot of thought, um, and you've taken us through. I think uh, just how. The world has changed and our, our communications and, and our marketing efforts and, and our donor engagement and and how we message all of this and, and put this together has changed a lot in the last uh, 10 months. And there's going to be many conversations uh, ongoing as uh, we evolve out of not only the pandemic, but use the new technologies and uh, what we've learned. Um, about ourselves as as human beings, social creatures that we are. So uh, we'd love people to get in touch with you and, and learn a little bit more about um, how you can help them. And uh, Michael, how can uh, folks get a hold of you?
2: Yeah, the easiest way is uh, you know Michael M I C H A E L at brandinspirationonline com. Michael at brandinspirationonline dot com. Brand Inspiration and John.
1: All right, sure. Uh, visit our website at triple 111- one. Consulting, all spelled out, triple one consulting.net. My email, John at triple one consulting.net as well.
0: Perfect. John Canine, Michael DeRoche, another uh, good conversation uh, during our podcast this evening of better together. Thank you for being with us. Thank you. We appreciate it.